Thank you, Marge. Please take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We will begin reading in verse 6, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. We continue our study of Paul's letter to this church, and tonight we look at the report that Timothy brings to Paul. So 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There are um, certain things in life and certain times in life when we are uh, waiting for good news. We're waiting to hear what we hope will be a good report. Uh, Maybe it's a follow-up from your last doctor's visit. Uh, Maybe it's a letter that says you were accepted into a certain school. Uh, Maybe it's a notification that you passed a certain test that you needed to pass in order to get into your profession. But whatever the case, you were waiting for some kind of good news, some kind of good report. That is where Paul was as he was waiting for Timothy, waiting and waiting and waiting to hear good news from his colleague Timothy. We have already seen how much Paul loved this church. He had a deep, deep affection for the Christians in Thessalonica, and he couldn't bear it any longer not to know how they were doing. And and so you remember, he he sends Timothy to them. And it it wasn't like, you know, Timothy could get in his car and he could drive four or five hours to Thessalonica. It was about 300 miles away from Athens. Timothy couldn't do that. As I said to you, I think last Sunday night, Typically, a 300-mile trip in that day would take about 12 to 15 days. And so you can, you can kind of picture in your mind what's going on here. Paul and, and Silas and Timothy are all in Athens. Thessalonica is about 300 miles away, and, and Paul is just, it's killing him not to be able to go there. He really wants to go to Thessalonica, but for some reason, Satan is hindering him. Paul can't go. And, and so he sends Timothy. And Timothy then makes the trip. He, he takes probably 12 to 15 days to get there. In, in the meantime, while Timothy goes to Thessalonica, Paul goes to Corinth, which is where he will write the book of 1 Thessalonians. And, and then once Timothy is done in Thessalonica, he heads to Corinth to give this report to Paul. Corinth was even further away than Athens was. Corinth was about 360 miles away. And, and so it's, it's well over a month from the time Timothy leaves Athens 
to go to Thessalonica until he finally comes to report to Paul in Corinth. And so you can imagine Paul. Imagine that, that you have an affection for a group of people. Maybe it's your family. And, and you're waiting to hear how they're doing. There's no texting. There's no Zoom. There's no FaceTime. There's no email. There's no telephone. There's no car. There's no plane. There's no train. There's no nothing. And you're waiting and you're waiting and waiting. That was Paul. And, and finally, tonight, we see that Paul gets this report. He hears how this church is doing. And, and in this passage, we want to see two things. And as we look at this passage, this, this is not just you know, information for us. Uh, this is encouragement for us. This is perhaps an admonition for us. Uh, this is for our well-being so that we would hopefully be stirred on that, that this is what the Lord would work in our congregation. So two things. First of all, there's Paul's rejoicing. And then there is Paul's request. His rejoicing and his request. After this long wait of well over a month, Paul finally gets Timothy's report, and it's good news. If you look at verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. You see that word, now, the second word of verse 6. It could better be translated, just now. In other words, it, the picture is it doesn't take Paul very long to write this letter to the Thessalonians. Timothy shows up in Corinth. He, he gives Paul the report on how the Thessalonians are doing. And, and the picture is that, that Paul right away grabs a pen and paper and writes this letter and sends it to the Thessalonians. And imagine Paul's joy at this point. He's been longing to see how this church was doing Twice, I think in the last passage, he said, I, I could bear it no longer. I need to know how you're doing. I need an update on your spiritual condition. And now the report comes, and, and Paul has got to be absolutely thrilled. He even says it's good news. Euangelizo is the Greek word. It's the, it's the Greek word that every other time in the New Testament is translated gospel in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is, is saying essentially, the only word I can think of when I hear Timothy's report is the same word that I use to describe the good news about Jesus. He, he is overjoyed at what he hears. And, and notice the three things that come out in Timothy's report. First of all, the Thessalonians' faith. You might remember last Sunday night I said to you that one of the things that Paul was concerned about is that these Christians in Thessalonica might fall away. They, they might suffer intense persecution and mockery and scorn and difficulty and they might say, you know what, I'm done. I, I don't need this Christianity stuff. Jesus even talked about that in Matthew chapter 13. He said that, that there are some hearts that are like rocky ground, that the seed is, is sown on that kind of heart, and, and it's a person who hears the gospel, and immediately they profess faith in Christ, but when difficulty comes and persecution comes, they fall away. And surely Paul is concerned with that for the Thessalonians. He, he doesn't want to see persecution come and hit these Christians, and, and they walk away from the Lord. Well, Timothy is happy to report that this isn't the case. The, the Thessalonians are continuing to trust in Christ and their Savior, as their Savior. 
And, and again, and we've seen this already throughout this book, this was Paul's concern. He, he cared about the eternal souls of people. He, he wasn't in it for the praise of men. We saw that in a previous chapter. He, he wasn't in it to make a name for himself. He wasn't in it so that people would go, hey, there's Paul, the great church planter. He cared. He really cared about the eternal destinies of men and women and children. And so you can imagine how Paul would have leaped for joy when Timothy came to him and he said, Paul, persecution hasn't affected them. Persecution hasn't caused them to to walk away from the Lord. They're still trusting Christ. Their faith is still strong. Secondly, Timothy also knows the Thessalonians' love. This is such such an important characteristic in a true believer. You know, if if you've read your Bible, specifically the New Testament, you know that the Bible emphasizes often the importance of loving one another. In fact, what I want to do with you for just a moment is take a tour, quick tour, through one of the New Testament books and notice how often this is mentioned. So take your Bibles and go to 1 John. 1 John, I want you to see all the times that John highlights the importance of love. Now, that doesn't mean that doctrine is unimportant. That doesn't mean that theology is insignificant. But but it does mean that love is important. So go to 1 John, and and specifically, first of all, look at chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now go over to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Look at verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Now go to chapter 4, verse 7. We read this this morning. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now look at chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You think love for one another is important? That's just one book. And of course we know what Jesus said in John chapter 13, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
That's what was going on in the church in Thessalonica. Timothy brings this report. He comes to Paul and he says persecution has not driven them away. Persecution has not caused them to denounce their faith. They're still strong. They're still trusting Christ. And Paul, by the way, they're also loving one another. They're serving one another. Now this is where we need to let the word of God hit us and we need to ask the question, could these two things be said of us? Could it be said of us that we are continuing to trust in Christ? That we are continuing to to look to him as our only savior? That are we continuing to walk with him in faith and obedience? And could it be said that, that we are faithful, although imperfectly, that we are faithful in loving one another. Paul rejoices really to, to hear of the Thessalonians' faith, their love. There's one more thing. Third, there is the Thessalonians' fondness, their fondness. Notice the end of verse 6. Paul says, Timothy reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. You know, just because you care about someone doesn't mean they care about you right? Just because you love someone doesn't mean they love you. Paul dealt with this kind of thing throughout his ministry. Paul, you know by now, Paul had a heart for people. He had a heart for the souls of people. He cared about people. He loved people. But it wasn't always reciprocated. There's a point in the book of uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, when he, he says to Timothy, Timothy, as you know, Everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. Everyone had deserted Paul. Later on in the same book, in chapter 4, Paul says, Demas, he, he specifies someone, he says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this world. And so Paul, who, who loved people deeply and passionately and cared about people, didn't, didn't always receive that back. He had times in his ministry where people walked away from him. People deserted him. If you've ever had a, a close friend desert you or walk away from you, you, you know how that feels. But that wasn't the case here. The, the relationship between Paul and this church was not a one-way street. Paul cared deeply about them, and they cared deeply about him. And they were so fond of Paul that, that they wanted to see him too. It wasn't like they were saying, yeah, we like that guy, but we like him far away. They, they loved him. They were desirous of, of seeing him. And this was so encouraging to Paul. Notice what he says in the next verse. In verse 7, he says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Paul says, my, my ministry has been characterized by distress and affliction. I can't imagine that if Paul lived today that too many publishers would ask Paul to write a book about how to grow your ministry and how to be a successful missionary or church planter or pastor. He says, my ministry was characterized by distress and affliction. Those are, in the original language, they're very strong words. They, they refer to the, the, the intense difficulty and pressure that Paul and his colleagues had been facing. 
Now, I, I, I told you earlier that um, Paul was writing this letter from Corinth, and if you read Acts 18, you'll, you'll see in there that Paul didn't receive a very warm welcome in Corinth. The Jews there opposed him, made life very difficult for him. In, in addition to that, while Paul was in Corinth, he also got news from Galatia that things weren't going well there. You remember the problem the Galatians had? The Galatians were, were buying into a false gospel. And so Paul's in Corinth. People there hate him. He gets a report from Galatia, and he hears that the, the Galatians have fallen into salvation by faith plus works. They, they were being told, you know, if you want to be a good Christian, if you want to follow Christ, you have, to, you have to obey him in order to be justified. Paul's also concerned, obviously, about the Thessalonians. Paul's probably concerned about the safety of Timothy, who's making this 300-mile trip. And on top of all of that, Paul is in Corinth. He's working as a tent maker, which was very hard, laborious work. And, and so all of this, this stress that Paul is under, when, when he gets Timothy's report, it's like he says, you have no idea how much I needed this. You have no idea how much I needed to hear how you're doing. And I'm so, I'm so encouraged, I'm so comforted to hear of your faith and your love and your desire to see me. That was Paul's joy. That was Paul's delight. He doesn't say, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you have a building fund going. I'm, I'm so happy that, that you've got, you know, more money than you know what to do with. It wasn't about buildings or budgets or numbers for Paul. It was about souls. It was about people's eternal destinies. It makes me think of what um, John says in the book of 3 John. You remember John says in that little book, 3 John, I think it's verse 4, verse 9, he says, I have, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, now John was talking about his spiritual children, and, and that's what what leaders in Christ's church should long for to, to hear the news that their people, their sheep, are walking in the truth. That's true for us as parents and, and grandparents as well. Now, there's no doubt we enjoy seeing and, and hearing that our children are doing well in school and, and sports and other extracurricular activities. Those things aren't bad. But, you know, those things pale in comparison to knowing that our children love the Lord and they are walking with him. Paul reiterates the same thing in verse 8. He says, for now we live if, if you are standing fast in the Lord. This is what I live for, Paul says. I live to hear of the good report of your faith. Can we say that as parents about our children? Can we say that as grandparents about our grandchildren? This is what we live for. This is what we long to hear, that, that our children, our grandchildren, our brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation are walking in the truth. And, and what, a, what a contrast that is to the, the living of this world, right? This world lives for pleasure. This world lives for earthly success. This world lives for the stuff of this life. Paul says, you want to know what I live for? You want to know what drives me? You want to know what moves me? It's knowing that you're standing fast. Again, brothers and sisters, what do we live for? What, what is our great joy in this life? 
Does, does our life show that, that we live for the kinds of things this world lives for? Or does our life show that we live for the things of eternity? And, and often, because, of, because what drives us is the, the spiritual well-being of our children and, and our grandchildren, we sometimes make sacrifices for their sake. That's certainly what Paul did. And, and Paul lived for seeing these people standing fast. That's a, that's a military term in verse 8, standing fast. It talks about an army that doesn't retreat, an, an army that, that doesn't give in to the enemy. Thessalonians were living under intense persecution. Intense persecution. It, it was not easy to be a Christian in that day and in that place, but they weren't retreating. They weren't backing down. They continued to trust in Christ. They continued to live for him. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to do. We, we live in a world that, as I said this morning, wants to squeeze you, wants to mold you into its way of thinking. We have to stand firm. We, we cannot retreat. We must continue to live for King Jesus, not for the idols of this world. And, and when Paul hears this, when Paul hears how they're doing, it, it gives him such joy. He even says in verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul says, all I can do is give thanks to God. Paul knew who was doing this in the lives of these Christians. He, he knew where to direct his thanks. And I think this is a helpful reminder to us. This, this isn't anything earth-shattering, but I think it's a good reminder. Every time we see a young person profess their faith, every time we hear a report of someone doing well spiritually, Every time we, we hear a, a missionary's report that, that the Lord is blessing that work, we, we know where to direct our thanks, don't we? We, we direct our thanks to God. We, we know who to thank because this is God's work. And so Paul, again, is, is overjoyed, waiting for all this time, and he gets this report. And again, we, we've seen this throughout the first few chapters. It, it opens up Paul's heart for us. Do we have this kind of heart? Do we have this kind of heart for one another here? Do we have this kind of heart for the children in our home or our, our grown children? Do we have this kind of heart for our grandchildren? It should thrill you, parents, to see your kids walking with Christ. It should thrill you, grandparents, to, to see your children making sacrifices for the training of their children and to know that they are doing well and how thankful we are to, to see how the Lord works in our own lives and, and we give him all the glory for that. That's, that's what should drive us because that's what drove Paul. Now, second thing, though, we see here is Paul's request. Paul, Paul is going to remind us that the, the Christian life is an ongoing pursuit of living for Christ. I, I said to you last week, I think it was last week, there, there doesn't come a point where we don't need to read our Bibles anymore. There doesn't come a point when we say, well, I don't need, I don't need to pray anymore. 
got that covered. There doesn't come a point when, when we can say, you know, I don't really need the ministry of the church any longer. Paul is, Paul is praying for these Christians. He, he says, we're, we're praying most, notice, earnestly for you, day and night. That, that word earnestly is a very intense word. It, it means exceedingly. This isn't just a um, God bless all the missionaries kind of prayer. This is Paul earnestly, exceedingly praying for this church. And, and this is how we should pray for each other. Notice two things in Paul's prayer. First of all, Paul is praying that he could make a personal visit to these Christians. He says that we may see you face to face. I love this about Paul. He, he gets the report from Timothy and he doesn't say, okay, we're good. I, I, don't, I don't need to see you. I, I thought I needed to, but, but Timothy's told me about you and so there's no need for me to come. He still wants to come see them. He, he still wants to see personally how they are doing. And, and in this, isn't this a reminder of, of how much we need each other? It's a reminder that the Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. We, we need each other. Now, now sometimes we know that, that health prevents us from being in church or age prevents us from being in church. It, it may pre- prevent us from being active and involved like we wish we could be or we were in the past. But, you know, that's the exception, not the rule. If we are able, if we're able-bodied, able-minded, we are, we are called to be active participants in the body of Christ. We need each other. Not to, not to sit on the sidelines, not to ignore each other. We, we serve one another, we pray for one another, we fellowship with one another. Paul knew the importance of that. That's why he says, I want to come see you. I want to be with you. And then secondly, notice he, he prays for their spiritual growth. He, he says at the end of verse 10, and supply what is lacking in your faith. That word supply is a medical term. It's a, it's a word that refers to, to mending someone who is hurt or setting a broken bone. I think the picture that Paul is painting here is that although this was a very solid church, and we've seen that already, how, how solid the Thessalonians were, there was still room for growth. Paul doesn't say, you guys are good. I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm needed. There's still room for improvement. One example of this is that, that this church in Thessalonica needed further instruction about the second coming of Christ. We're going to see that when we get to the next chapter. They were, they were kind of in the dark about the second coming. And that's true with new believers, isn't it? I mean, these people hadn't been Christians for very long. If you, if you came to know Christ later in life, you, you think back to when you were first a believer. There were probably all kinds of areas in, in which you needed further understanding. And it's not just true for those of us who came to Christ later in life. It's true for all of us. All of us in this room have room for growth. All of us have misunderstandings and and weaknesses that we need to work on and we need to bear with one another. We need to be patient with one another. But but we also need to strive to to know God's word better. And so Paul, 
wants to come to this church, this very solid church that wasn't deviating from truth. It wasn't being swayed by persecution. He wants to come to them to give them further instruction. And then he zeroes on a, on a particular aspect of the Christian life. Notice verse 12. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. It's like he comes full circle. He says, Timothy's told me about your love, but I pray that you would abound in love more and more, that you would grow in love more and more. And notice the two kinds of love. First of all, there's love for one another. We looked at that earlier from 1 John. Scripture calls us to love one another. And, And Paul says here that we are to increase and abound in our love for one another. Can't do it from a distance. Can't do it if we don't know each other. Can't do it if we think the ministry of the church is all about us and meeting our needs. Brothers and sisters, we we should be so humbled and so amazed at Christ's love for us that, that we would say, since I belong to the one who loved me so much, I must reflect that love to other people. And so there's love within the body. But secondly, Paul talks about love for all. It's not just love within these walls. It's not just love within the Christian community. It's love outside of the church and outside of the Christian community as well. Now, how do we do that? How do we we show love for our community? Well, we can do that as a church. We can do that through things like VBS, uh, through collecting items for the the homeless ministry that that we've been doing, Uh, maybe involvement in in things like Love Rippin or things like that. In in other words, there are things that the entire church can do to show that, that we love people, that we love our community. But we can also do that as, as individual believers. Maybe it's helping out a neighbor. Maybe it's helping out a coworker. Maybe it's something that you yourself get involved in in the community to show that you're a Christian and I, I want to show the love of Christ to others. But the point is that the Christian life and the life of the church is not just inward focused. It's not just about me and what I need. It's not just about loving each other, as important as that is. We, we have to think missionally as well. We have to think evangelistically as well. We have to think about how to show love outside of this church to our community. And that's what Paul was praying for, for this church, that they would grow in love. And I want to end tonight by asking this question. Do we pray that? Do do we pray Paul's prayer? Do we pray it for ourselves? Do we pray it for our church? Do Do we pray that we would grow in holiness? Do we pray that we would grow in love? Do we pray, Lord, help me to to love my brothers and sisters more at Zion? Show me ways that I can improve. Show me things that I can get involved in. Show me things that I can do. Put people in my path that I can minister to. 
Do we pray for those who are hurting? Do we pray for our community? Do we pray that we would be able to show love to Ripon? Or if you live in Modesto, Manteca, Stockton, wherever it is, do we pray that we would show love in our communities? See, this is what's so great about the book of 1 Thessalonians. I told you this when we started, is that this book shows us Paul's heart. And this book shows us the the kinds of things that, that we should focus on as a church. It's not just about doctrine. It's not just about theology. It's also about love and service and humility and caring for one another. And as we'll see next week, it's also about doing God's will, which is living a life that's pleasing to him. And so this would be a good prayer for us this week. Be a good prayer that that we would pray all throughout the week, Lord, help me. Help me to love people at Zion. Help me to love people in my community. Help me to display the, the love of Christ so that he may receive all the glory through us. Paul was so thankful to get this report. And I pray that the Lord would work these things in us as well. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you again for instructing us through your word. We pray now that we would abound more and more in love for one another and love for all the people you place in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.